We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and I have the great privilege of filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, who is uh, normally the host of this radio show uh, where we take your live questions, but him and Paul are on vacation this week and next. And so for this week alone, I will be filling in on the radio show taking your questions, uh, so everything will continue as we normally do. We want to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. And so we want to help you uh, answer Bible questions, uh, how to put the Word into practice into your life, anything and everything we can do uh, just to help you see how much Jesus loves you. And so with that, uh, I will give the, the phone numbers, and then I do have a couple of announcements, and then we'll get right to the questions. The phone numbers to call into the show is 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. The toll-free number, if you happen to be out of the area, is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. The email address to submit questions is questions at calvarysa.com. And you can also submit questions uh, through our app. You can also call into the show directly into the radio studio uh, using the KSLR app. So there are lots and lots of ways to call in. And if you feel led, please give us a call. We'd like to help you. So once again, Tuesday, uh, normally, we don't have much going on in terms of announcements. There's, uh, here at the churches, uh, Tuesday nights is a pretty quiet night. But I do have something, two things I want to remind you of. Uh, the first thing is, uh, I've already mentioned, Pastor Ron and Paula messaged me yesterday. They're doing well. Uh, they've arrived at their destination. And... Uh, vacation has begun. So uh, they send their love to the radio listening audience. They miss you guys already. Uh, please keep them in prayer if you can remember. Uh, I've mentioned yesterday, and Pastor Ron has been mentioning in the coming weeks, that this particular vacation is a significant one, not only for him, but also for the church body here. And we really feel like God is speaking to us as a church body corporately about something new that he wants to do, and he wants us to be ready for it. And Pastor Ron and Paula both want to hear clearly from the Lord. And so if you could... Just remember to keep them in prayer. Pastor Ron will be back here live in the studio on July 2nd, taking your phone calls. The second announcement is, is, a, is a fun one. And so another prayer request. Uh, so many of you might have heard Pastor Ron mentioning how we as a church have participated in the past with uh, Children's Heart Project. Uh, and so we have another opportunity. Tonight, uh, Kamal 
is a three-year-old girl from Uganda. She arrives here in the United States uh, with her mother, Fozzie. And Kumal is going to receive uh, life-saving heart surgery. And that's what this ministry does. The Children's Heart Project uh, finds children around the world that need this surgery. And there are heart specialists here in San Antonio who love the Lord with all their heart. And so they partner with this ministry to provide this surgery uh, to save the child's life. And at the same time, uh, our participation is just in helping and hosting the family, uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And almost every single time, people get saved. People are overwhelmed by the love of Jesus Christ through, through so many that give their time. Uh, they cook food, they visit, uh, and just help out in any way. So please keep Kamal and her mother, Fozzie, in your prayers. They arrive tonight. Also, please keep uh, Victor and Gail Perez in your prayers. They will be uh, hosting the family, and it's going to be a blessing for them as well. Okay, so let's get right into the questions. I gave you the phone numbers. Our first question today is from Lori. What do you mean when you said, and this is addressed to Pastor Ron, quote, my flesh doesn't get any better? Well, Lori, this is a great question. I think this is a very important question for all of us who are believers. When... We say our flesh doesn't get any better. That's exactly what it means. You remember the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7? What he said was this very same thing. In me, talking about my flesh, is no good thing. Now, some people will say Paul the Apostle was speaking about what he used to be like before he was saved. But that's not the case here. Paul is describing the sinful nature. And the sinful nature that we have does not get any better. Now, this is going to be a blow to our ego. And you'll understand what I mean here in a second, Laurie. But when Paul says, in my flesh is no good thing, what he's saying is that this sinful nature of ours, it doesn't get any better. He continues and he says, and I listen to this carefully, in that same chapter, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another work at, at law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. And the King James, oh, what wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So Paul here is recognizing what we know. Our flesh stinks. Our flesh stinks. And Paul wasn't writing this, talking about himself before he was a Christian. He's writing this as a Christian, understanding the sinful nature. It stinks. So he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then the glorious verse that comes next. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now Paul here is recognizing that his flesh doesn't get any better. And this is why it's important. Though that is a blow to our ego because we are all accustomed to thinking, you know what, if I spend enough time doing something, I'll get better at it. Well, as you grow deeper in love with Jesus, it's the opposite that happens. We recognize that our flesh stinks even more. So as he ends that chapter there, it's a really terrible chapter division. In the beginning of the next chapter, he says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, I love that. Because you don't get to that place of understanding that there's no condemnation unless you recognize your flesh doesn't get any better. If... Out of pride, we think, you know what, 
I've been walking with the Lord. I've been a Christian for a while. My flesh is not as bad as it used to be. Well, we've fallen for that trap. And that's a trap that, that takes us further. It prevents us from getting closer to Jesus. If you're growing deeper in love with Jesus, you'll hate sin even more than when you first got saved. That's why we say, my flesh doesn't get any better. So, Laurie, I hope that helps. Let's actually go to the phone lines. We're going to call on line one from Tracy in San Antonio. Tracy, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Hey. Hi, um, Tracy. I, uh, I, I know in general and stuff the uh, location. Uh, well, I don't know the locations of it. So um, basically, I know that Christ's return is due can happen any day because basically all the prophecies have been fulfilled. But um, I just I don't know the locations because basically, like his return um, will happen within, like I guess the generation of when uh, Israel became a nation, and and stuff like that. I don't know where those, uh, uh, where I can find those to be able to show people. Can you give me like where I can point those out to people? Um, like specifically a coworker, she's saying, where does it say that Christ can come back any day and stuff like that, and so. I don't know where to point it out in this. Absolutely. Story. Absolutely, Tracy. Great question, by the way. Uh, so the preeminent passage that describes what you are talking about, which is the rapture of the church, and, and uh, you know, Tracy, w- what we teach is a pre-tribulational rapture. We believe that's what the Bible teaches. And First Thessalonians is uh, one of the best places to go when it describes what's actually going to take place and describes what the rapture is. Now, specific to your question about all the prophecies that need to be fulfilled have already been fulfilled, uh, there isn't a specific verse that says that, but the, the timeline of what when the rapture is going to happen, we learn from Paul's writing, he expected it at any moment. So, even today, we should even be more expectant. So First Thessalonians, I'm going to read the passage there. And this is the passage that helps describe uh, the rapture. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it begins in verse 13. And the first thing he says is important in verse 13. This is the passage, again, he's describing to the Thessalonians who misunderstood about the end times. They were confused about the difference between the second coming and the rapture of the church. And so Paul tries to clarify, and this is what he says. Brothers, obviously speaking to Christians, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Then he goes on to say what we believe. We believe Jesus died and rose again, and that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to his own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so, Tracy, Paul here is clarifying a misunderstanding to the Thessalonians because they're confused, thinking those who have died are going to miss out. But they're not going to. And, and I, this is how it ties into your question. Paul's attitude and what he's communicating to the Thessalonians is like, is this. It hasn't happened yet, but it could happen at any time, so be ready. Those who have fallen asleep, those who have already died, they're not going to miss out. Why? Because we're going to meet with them in the air. They'll be there. We'll be there with them. So, okay. First so where, Thessalonians. Where is, the prophecy, where is the prophecy or something that relates to within the within a generation of uh, Israel becoming a nation? Where's where's that reference to? Or, or you know what I'm saying? Where's uh, yes. You know what? Uh, that one. I, I don't remember exactly where that's, that's at. Probably Old Testament or something. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll look that up. I don't want to guess, but I, I, I know okay. what you're talking about. I will. I will look that up and I'll tell you on the air here in a minute because uh, I don't want to uh, thumb through my Bible. But I know exactly what you're talking about. That's a great question. The, the, the and this is also what you can share with your coworker who's asking these types of questions because. Uh, 
The New Testament, not only in this letter to the Thessalonians, but also in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he describes in chapter 15 what the rapture is going uh, to be like when it happens. Uh, this is a reminder for those who are believers. Now, I don't know if you mentioned if your friend was a believer or not. Well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they, they are not. They, they, they specifically say, oh, I believe in God, but I don't think that she's saved. I don't think she has a relationship okay. with Christ. Okay, so this is this is receptive to she's receptive to anything that I have to say because she believes in God, but perfect. I don't really see, see any much really Christ-like in <laughs> in, in this is kind of okay. So Tracy, this is the approach that I, I, I would take. I love the fact that you are being a light to your coworkers, and I love the fact that God is using you to reach your coworkers with these specific questions because. You know, God, people are watching us at work, uh, people that surround us. They, they want to see what it is we believe in and whether we really believe it or not. And so God has opened a door here for you with your coworker. What I would do is just with the questions that they have about the rapture, point them not only to this passage but also to 1 Corinthians 15 because the way Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15 is a little bit different but it's the same type of encouragement. Paul ends here in 1 Thessalonians 4 with these words. He says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He says the same thing multiple times. Why? Because he wants us, those of us who are believers, not to be confused when the rapture, or if the rapture is actually going to happen. And it's meant to be a source of encouragement. Now, the attitude you should have towards your coworker is this. Uh, you don't want them to miss out. And, and because you care about them, you tell them, I, I, I can't imagine heaven without you. You remind them, yes, you know about God, but Jesus himself says you have to be born again. Knowing about him simply isn't enough. John chapter 3, remember Nicodemus, Jesus engaged him and challenged him with this question. You know so much, but you're not born again. You must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. And that's, that's uh, the goal of every conversation uh, with your coworker. And the fact that God is using them to, uh, or touching their hearts to inquire about the end times is a good thing. But oftentimes, you know, when people are asking these things, it's, there's a deeper question. And the question uh, really needs to be, are you born again? If not, then you're going to miss out on the rapture. And, and here's the important part. Because the rapture is imminent and because it's going to happen, those who are left behind are going to suffer uh, a, a, a destruction uh, and experienced a, a level of suffering that the world has never recorded. And you don't want her or him to be a part of that. And so share with them that the rapture is imminent. Share with them these two passages, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. But also get right to the point, which is you don't want them to miss out. The only way they're going to be uh, caught up in the rapture and not be left behind is if they're born again. So I will look up that prophecy about uh, Israel becoming a nation um, and then I'll, I'll get back to you, Tracy, on the air. I apologize for not knowing that. But, but I, I think that, that what the Lord is doing in your coworker's heart is a good thing. And just, just point them to Jesus and tell them that they need to be born again so that they don't have to worry about missing out on the rapture. Yeah, and, and they're not bringing it up. I'm bringing it up, but they're, like, questioning the, the fact that, oh, that, that's not, I can't, how do you, why, why does it say that? And that's the reason why I have to bring it up. Oh, okay. Where it says that, because I'm saying, well, this is going to happen, and they're, and they're like, where? And so I'm like, okay, I don't know where, but it says it. <laughs> yeah, I, yes. I know it. I believe it. I'm like, well, I believe it, so. Anyway, God will gather the okay. nation back together. That's right. Uh, I'll get that, that that citing for you that verse, but um, okay. in the meantime, I'll uh, I'll also be praying for you and your coworker Tracy. Thank you for calling. 
Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. You too, Tracy. Let's go to back to the phone lines. Line two, Celeste from Shirts. You're on the air. Hi, Celeste. Hi, Pastor Ken. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> good. Okay. I have a question kind of from the same uh, reference you were speaking to her about. But if to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, if you are born-again Christian... Mm-hmm. Then, uh, talking about the rapture, when Jesus comes and he says, uh, those who have fallen asleep will come with him, well, they were already with him. Why, does their, why do their bodies need to be resurrected? You know? Because Great question. Yeah, and... and Someone was asking me, well, what about people who are cremated? And, you know, because they're not resurrected. Well, I guess they can be resurrected, but sometimes their ashes are strewn all over and they don't. Right. So, but the main thing is if they're, uh, you know, if they they went to be in the Lord's presence, they're no longer in the bodies. They're kind of not even significant, the body. Um, how does that come together again? Then we go and meet them. Great question. Yes, great question. So, let me let me answer that. And uh, this is a very common question. So I, I think I can I can help you understand this. The passage you're referring to uh, is in Second Corinthians chapter five, and. And this is Paul. This is what he says. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So what he's saying is, and he goes on to say, whether we're at home in the body or away from it, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And therefore, uh, this is the confidence we can have in him. To be absent from the body means immediately... We are uh, in the presence of the Lord. There is no intermediate state. Mm-hmm. Now, there are different beliefs uh, on this, but, but the Bible can only be understood uh, if we understand it this way. Once you die, we have the absolute confidence that we stand in the presence of the Lord. Now, the second part of your question, with that understood, is in Second First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, that passage that I was talking to Tracy about. This is where people get confused. So in First Thessalonians 4, that same passage later on goes to uh, what some people understand to be a chronology where he says, Paul does, uh, that uh, the call of God that the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that, we who are still alive will be left to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so when, when people understand this to be a sequence of events, like a chronology, like those who died in Christ will rise first, the tombs are not going to open, and bodies are not going to fly up in the air first, and then we go and meet them in the air. That's not what this is saying. Paul is simply saying this. Those who have already died will already be there. They will be there first before us. That's why he says we will not precede them. So he's not describing a sequence of events. He's saying simply, they're already going to be there. They'll be there first. And we'll simply be caught up in the air to meet them where they're at. Does that help, Celeste? Think about why their spirit or their souls and their spirits are met with their bodies again, because their bodies were separate. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not. They're not. And so that's the misunderstanding. Remember back in Second Corinthians, when, when we're absent from this body, we are immediately in the presence of the Lord in our glorified bodies. Now, again, there are other uh, uh, interpretations of this, but uh, we believe the Bible only makes sense this way. When you see, you take the Bible literally. And what Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 5, 
He's saying instantaneously, immediately, once we pass from this earth, we're in the presence of God. So we're not waiting uh, in, a, like, uh, in some kind of intermediate state. We're not in any type of soul sleep or or we're not a ghost flying around waiting for our body. We're simply in the presence of Jesus in that glorified state already. In a body. And so, yes, yes. That's why this passage here in First Thessalonians 4 isn't confusing when you understand it that way. Those who have died before us will already be there. So they'll be there first. They won't precede us. That's what he's saying. Okay, so it has no, really nothing to do with the graves they were in. Absolutely they are, correct. They have a body where they are in the presence of the Lord. That's right. Yeah, there's, graves aren't going to open, and you know, there's not going to be ghosts that fly up in the air to get a body. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I hope that helps. It was confusing, but yes, it, it's clearer now. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the calls, guys. So you can hear the music. We are at the end of the first half of our Tuesday edition of the radio show. Uh, my name is Pastor Ken. We're coming up on a two-minute break, and then we get to finish off the second half of the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'll see you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the tuesday edition of the word to stand on for life my name is pastor ken cruzado and if you're just tuning in uh, I have the great privilege of filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, this week on the radio show. I'll take your live questions about the Bible, questions about how to apply the Word of God in your life, especially if you're going through a difficult time. I want you to know that the hope that you're looking for is found in Jesus, and, and it will help you. The Word of God is a love letter written to you to help you in your greatest time of need. And so with that, we have uh, phone numbers for you to call in. 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. A toll-free number for you also. 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. The email address to submit questions is questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, you can submit a question through our church app. You can call in through the KSLR app, and you don't have to fumble with your phone. There's a call now button right there at the top, and you can hit that, and it'll take you right to our producer at the radio station, and you can ask your question on the air. Uh, Let me remind you, uh, for two prayer requests, I said at the top of the show, uh, Pastor Ron and Paula, again, are on vacation. Keep them in prayer. They arrived yesterday. I I heard from them. They're they're doing well. Uh, They send their love to the radio listening audience. Uh, They're also asking for your prayers. This is a time where they really need to hear from the Lord. Pastor Ron has some things he is taking before the Lord, and he just wants to hear clearly. And so uh, if you could remember to please uh, pray for Pastor Ron and Paula that the Lord would speak to their hearts while they're on vacation. He will return here in the radio studio to take your live calls and questions on Monday, July 2nd. The second prayer request, uh, and also a praise report, is for the family from Uganda that's arriving tonight. Uh, We partner with the Children's Heart Ministry, and so one of our families here at the church, the Perez family, is hosting Kamal, a three-year-old girl, almost three-year-old girl, who is traveling with her mother, Fozzy, from Uganda, and, and Komal is going to receive 
life-saving heart surgery. And she comes from uh, uh, Uganda, a place where uh, she's not able to get the surgery that she needs. And here in San Antonio, there are heart surgeons who give of their time and of their talent to serve in this ministry. They love the Lord with all their heart, and they want to use their gifts to help save people. And so uh, Komal and her mother Fozzie and the translator will be staying with the Perez family. Keep the Perez family in your prayers as well. We, we always see God doing an amazing work whenever we host families through the Children's Heart Project. God uses surgeons to do the, the physical saving of the heart. But then we also see God working on the, the heart of these people. And, and almost every single time, they get saved. And so keep Kamal and Fozzie in your prayers and along with the Perez family. They arrive tonight. Okay, let's go back to our questions. We have a question from Thomas. Pastor Ron, in your opinion, do you think Satan is the, quote, puppet master behind organized religion, parentheses, including Christian religions? Uh, Thomas, great question. Uh, The answer, I would say, is no and and yes. So let me explain. Uh, No, because God is the one that's ultimately in control. Satan is the god of this world, but even in the supernatural realm, we have to remember that the devil and his demons, they are servants that God uses. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Remember, in in 1 Kings, one of these demons serve God by saying, I will put uh, a lying spirit in the mouths of, of, of prophets. And, and remember also with King Saul in 1 Samuel, there was an, an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. It doesn't mean that God sends evil, but it means that these demons are servants of God used to accomplish his will. So more to your point, is Satan using organized religion? Yes, he is. And I know this isn't going to sound encouraging to those who are religious, but this is something we have to understand. Man started religion way at the very beginning, way in the very beginning. Even back in Genesis chapter 4, remember when Cain wanted to please God with his own efforts, with the fruit of his own labor, Instead of doing what God asked him to do, he wanted to do things himself. And then later on in Genesis chapter 11, remember the man named Nimrod. He led people to erect the Tower of Babel. And the the goal there was try to build something to, to reach God. And in their fruitless efforts, they were trying to accomplish... Uh, something that would almost bring them to God's level. Even way back in Genesis chapter 3, at the tree, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That's the lie from the enemy given to Eve. So religion is man doing the work to be like God. But having a relationship with him means that God has already done the work for us. And simply by believing in him, that's Jesus who did the work to bridge the gap between God and man. By believing that God has already done the work for us, we can enter into a love relationship with him. And so organized religion teaches us that we work ourselves towards God. And the devil wants us to do our own work to accomplish the level of righteousness that he can only give us. So in that sense, yes, the devil is behind it and even encourages religion. And I I don't mean that to be discouraging to anyone, but 
But this is exactly what Jesus was talking about with with Nicodemus in in John chapter 3. Can you imagine the the confusion on Nicodemus's face? The premier, the eminent teacher of all Israel, the definite article there before his name indicates that he was the teacher of Israel, the most learned, the most religious, but even Nicodemus at the level of respect and the level of knowledge that he's attained through religion still knew something was missing. And Jesus simply told him, you've been doing it the wrong way. You're trying to work yourself into heaven. But no one's going to get saved through religion. So, Thomas, I, I hope that helps. Let's go on to our next question from Sheila. Sheila's question is this. My question is about Luke chapter 10, verse 38 38 through 42. When someone is so active in doing the works, how do you know when it's too much? Uh, Vice versa, how do you know if you're doing too little? Is it our responsibility to point this out to someone, or is it just, or is it to be just a personal thing? All Martha was doing, all needed to be done, but Jesus favored Mary. And so, Sheila, I think if I understand your question correctly here, uh, two, uh, a couple of parts to this. Uh, obviously, you're talking about the story in Luke chapter 10 with Mary and Martha, and there in Bethany, uh, remember, Martha was doing all the work that needed to be done in the kitchen, back and forth, serving Jesus, uh, exhausting herself, all the while Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and then Jesus says, what Mary is doing is the right thing. So, when someone is active, so active in doing the works, how do you know when it's too much? Here's the thing, Sheila, we have to remember. God always looks at the heart. God always looks at our heart. That means our motive is everything. He's not looking at our performance. He's not looking at how much work we can accomplish. You know, he'd rather have us accomplish nothing if our hearts are not right with him. He'd rather have our hearts fixed first so that the motive of our work is to please him. If we work with a heart that's not right with the Lord, well, then our motive is to please ourselves. So God always looks at the heart. And remember what God said. God had to correct Samuel, the prophet. When Samuel was going through all of Jesse's uh, kids, remember David wasn't even considered. And and when Eliab was standing before Samuel, he thought, well, surely this is the right one. And God said, no, no, no. Don't look at his appearance, God says to him, nor on the height or his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees... Not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he always looks at the heart. And I'm thankful for that. So specific to your question here, Sheila, how do you know when someone's doing too much? You're doing too much when your heart isn't right with the Lord. Uh, When your heart is right with the Lord and your motive is to simply please him, because of the gratitude you have for what he's done in your life, then you'll be obedient to do whatever he says to do. And, this is important, whatever it is you do, out of obedience, you'll be okay with it, regardless of what the results are. We have to get this 
performance-based mentality out of our way of thinking. And so when God prompts our hearts to be obedient and do something for him, success is simply responding and obeying, and we leave the results to him. And in that sense, there is no too much or too little. I hope that makes sense. Now, the second part of your question, is it our responsibility to point this out to someone, or is it just a personal thing? This is something that the Lord has to speak to our heart individually, because I can't see into somebody else's heart. I I can look at their lives and and say, you know what, it looks like there's something that isn't right, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to speak to their heart about them. And I'll speak to my heart about me. So I, I wouldn't say it's it's our responsibility to f- find someone and point out in their life what's, you know, that they're doing too much or too little. We can certainly uh, encourage them just to be obedient and to do whatever the Lord says to do. But it's not for us to say whether it's too much or too little. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We want to be careful not to be the Holy Spirit police because God is the one that knows what's going on in the heart. So, Sheila, I I hope that helps. And also, uh, I know you're not asking this, but uh, on a side note or a tangent related to this, uh, God wants us who are born-again believers to live lives that are pleasing to him. And, and what that means is that we don't look at what other people are doing. We stay in our lane. We're obedient to do what he's asked us to do. We don't compare ourselves to what other people are doing. We, we don't gauge ourselves and our, our success or our accomplishments or, or, or how well we're doing based on what other people are not doing or what they are doing. And because we all have flesh, we have to guard ourselves against that. We have to remind ourselves constantly to stay in our lane. That doesn't mean you don't have any interaction at all with brothers or sisters in the Lord. Of course not. We are a body, a family of Christ. And so we're all been given gifts for the edification of the church as a whole to build each other up. But when it comes to whatever God has called us to do individually, we have to stay in our lane, be obedient to do what he's asked us to do. And, and, and out of, when we obey, we have to be okay with just doing whatever he says to do and leave the results up to him. And so, uh, Sheila, I, I hope that encourages you. Uh, and I hope that answers your question. Uh, let me check if we... Okay. We have another call. Oh, I'm sorry. Another uh, question that was submitted. And I think I have one in the email. I'll check afterwards. This one is actually anonymous. So anonymous asks... This is a good one. When we're judged by God for whether or not our actions are worth anything, will all of our sins and wrongdoings be pronounced? And so, Anonymous, uh, there are a couple of things here, I think, that are being mixed up in your questions. Uh, A couple of related but different biblical concepts. So let me explain. Everyone we know will stand before the Lord in judgment. That's what the Bible says. But we have to remember this, that there are two different types of judgments. Now, for believers, those of us who are born again, and Anonymous, I don't know if you, obviously I don't know who you are, so I don't know if you are born again or not, but there's a difference in the type of judgment. So for believers, if you're born again, we will stand before the Lord in judgment but this judgment is for rewards. This is based out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is what's often referred to as the Bema Seat. This Bema Seat of judgment isn't a judgment 
unto death, it's a judgment for rewards. We who are believers will receive rewards in heaven based on the quality of our works. Now again, quality doesn't mean performance. Quality means motive. Quality means motive. In that passage, he goes on to, Paul goes on to describe that there are different types of works are made up of uh, wood, stray, uh, st- straw, or, or hay, and, and these materials are materials that describe works that are done with the wrong motive. And Paul says that these types of works are burned up in the fire of judgment. And so when we believers have wrong motives into things that we do, he says that we suffer loss. Like these things get burnt up. We, 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 we offer so much blood, uh, sweat, and toil for these things, but, but our hearts are wrong. And, and then we find out when we stand before the Lord as a believer, they're all burnt up because they were done with the wrong motive. But he says, that person still saved, but those works amount to nothing. Why? Because the motive was wrong. But in verse 14, in that same passage, he says, but if what he has built survives, again, talking about the types of works, the quality of our works, then he will receive his reward. So we know that believers don't work toward salvation, but we do work out our salvation. In other words, we don't do things to be saved, but since we're saved, we do good things. And this is what Paul is talking about, the Bema Seat. At this place, Anonymous, this believer has all of their sin completely forgiven. As far as the East is from the West, so for our sin will never be brought up again. So all of our wrongdoings and our sins, they won't necessarily be brought up. We won't have to stand in judgment for them. However, this is the second type of judgment. This is important. This is for unbelievers, but there is a tangent here, and I'll, I'll, I'll end it with this. The second type of judgment is for unbelievers. This is in Matthew 12, among other places, but Jesus here is speaking to Pharisees. And so we know the context of the conversation that Jesus is having. This is the you brood of vipers conversation he's having with them. And he says, how can you who are evil say anything that's good? Because here's the key. Again, our motive is everything. Out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. Then he says this, and I think this is what you were mixing up with in your question. Jesus says, but I tell you that men will give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. So in this context, Jesus speaking to unbelievers they, with their mouths professing these careless words, discrediting Jesus and his ministry by their own words, they're pronouncing their judgment because these careless words come from an unrepentant heart and they will stand before the Lord giving an account for those careless words that are spoken. So the last thing I'll say is this and believers we need to understand this. If you're a born again Christian well first let me say this. If you're not a born again Christian this is exactly what will happen. Every single one of you will stand before the Lord and give account of the words that you speak. But also, for born-again Christians, our words matter. And we don't get to say whatever we want. If we speak words that tear people down, and then we're speaking out of the overflow of our heart, and that's junk that doesn't come from Jesus. So our words matter. What we say matters. If you're a believer, then your mouth should speak forth what flows from Jesus' heart. That's gratitude. That's love. And this is important. Even if I know the terrible things that I've said in the past have been forgiven, 
I want to make sure that Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 is what I live by today. And that's, I want every single word that comes out of my mouth to be a word that imparts grace to the hearers. A word that's used for edification to build others up, not tear each other down. So by your words, you pronounce judgment upon yourselves. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. And also, to the believer, though our sins are forgiven, what we say matters. You cannot unsay something. Oh, there's one more thing about this. I said this is the last thing, but I just thought about this. You know, we live in an age now when we're not only words that come out of our mouth, but words that come from our our phones, things that we text, things that we post online or, or things that we say on social media. You can't unsay that. You can't unpost stuff. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm using lingo that I'm not familiar with because I don't do that. But I, I know what you say something, it's out there somewhere. And, and you just have to be careful. If you're with Jesus and your heart is right with him and your sins have been forgiven and you're grateful to God because of that, then guess what? What's going to come out of your mouth are words that are going to encourage people. And you don't have to worry about your the words that you speak or the actions that you take uh, being pronounced before your judgment. The way we speak matters, guys. So I, I hope you take that to heart. Oh, you can hear the music. That means we're at the end of the second half. We're actually at the end of the Tuesday edition of the radio show, The Word to Stand On for Life. I thank you for your calls. Let me remind you quickly to pray for Pastor Ron and Paula as they're on vacation. Also pray for Kamal and uh, her mom, Fozzie. They arrived tonight from Uganda. And so this is The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll see you tomorrow at 4. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. AM 630, The Word. We hope you've enjoyed The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron. You can find out more about Pastor Ron and all of the folks over at Calvary Chapel by logging on to calvarysa.com. Once again, calvarysa.com. Up next, Maranatha Bible Church, followed by John Hagee Today on AM 630, The Word. Streaming on AM 630, The Word.